Um, we need the mic, Sam, because Josh is going to read the text to us. Hi, everyone. I'm back. We are in First John. We have been spending a number of weeks around the theme of a legacy matters. For those of you who are newer to it, let me frame it briefly. Then Josh is going to come and read the passage that we're looking at tonight. Meryl's got a couple of stories, and I will land us around the table. The picture that you need, I think, to understand this is that it was a sermon, to Mackie tells us, recorded by a man in his 90s, we presume, accurately we think, to be John, the last standing apostle. He is taking this time to really drive home the deep stakes of the things that matter, that he's about to go to be with Jesus, he's the last living apostle, he wants to make um, good the things that Jesus deposited in him, he wants to make sure those things continue. And so we have systematically worked our way through a number of them as we will tonight. Josh is going to read 1 John chapter 2. It's a little out of kelter for those of you who are sharp, but um, it's 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through to 27. Over to you, bro. And the microphone you have, and then Meryl will take it off to you. Now, let me have a look. Here we go. Hold it up nice and high. Thanks. There we go. Do you have an NIV Bible by chance? You can read that. I'm going to read right from the screen. Okay, that's good. Because no one I knew had an NIV Bible. I did my research, and I guess it's not the common denominator. Dear children, this is our last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And I do not write you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from truth. Who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Keep going. Okay. Scene change. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the, in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you... The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all about all things, that the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Beautiful. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, so the idea we're going to play with this evening is that beautiful little word, anointing. Now, as you know, I'm not a classical exegetical teacher, meaning I don't take each word, pull it apart, look at it in the Greek and the Hebrew, and try and make sense of it all systemically. systematically. Thank, good, thank goodness there are great teachers who do that. It's not my jam. I love finding the God idea in the passage and saying, Lord, what do you want to do with us now in this space? As I was praying this week, knowing obviously today was coming, these are some of the things I felt. Here they are, prophetically. Number one, some of you are patently hungry to encounter God in a fresh and new way. You are here. You could think of any of a number of things you would rather do or could do at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon here in Costa Mesa. You'd go for a beer next door. 
Maybe you'll go there afterwards. You could go for pizzas. Delicious pizzas, arguably the best ones right here at the camp. You could be hanging out with friends. But there's a reason you are here with us tonight. And I suspect it could well be there is a hunger inside of you to say, is God real? Is God true? And does he make a difference in my life? Number two, some of you have experienced God in times gone by. You've even been used by God in wonderfully supernatural ways. But that has waned. You just don't find God using you seemingly as much as he used to. You prayed for people, you saw them healed. You prophesied over people and you saw them changed. You had words of knowledge that were unexpected. And they kind of looked at you with wide open eyes saying, well, how do you know that? But that's quietened. So there are those who are hungry. There are those who have been used by God, but it's grown a little weary. It's those of you who've come who are a little skeptical, a little cynical. Well, maybe in the next 30 minutes or so, God can meet with you. God can speak with you. Why do Merrill and I do this? Why have we done this for 40-some years? It's because I believe it to be true. This anointing that John writes about, is one that brings understanding or reveals things to us. But before I go any further, my wonderful wife has a couple of stories to tell. Do you want to use that, my love? Well, why don't you do that and use this? Just hold it high, my love, otherwise it dies on us. Like here. That is perfect. perfect. You are so good. <laughs> um, I like being further back so I can kind of see these people because that's where I sit and I don't want you feeling left out. Um, It's really just a little bit of testimony that I want to give you. But how many of you know life is incredibly unpredictable? Okay. It's uncertain because we're not in control. And I don't know why we think we are, but generally we kind of do. And we try to control life. When you think about it, You had nothing to do with your conception, nothing to do with the date you were born, and you will have nothing to do with your death the day you die. You know what I mean? Like, we think we've got control, but we don't. And sorry for those of you who are control freaks, but this life journey is full of ups and downs, isn't it? It's it's full of sudden sharp turns and twists in the road. And if you're anything like me, you do your best to try and avoid the downs and the, the curveballs that kind of hit you from the side. But the truth is we can't avoid them. Suffering is part of being human. It's living in this imperfect world. And life brings so much joy, delight, um, intoxicating moments. It really does. Life is incredible. I look at these some of these little babies that are around and is nothing like a little newborn. A little newborn was just born in our neighborhood this week and all the pictures and everybody's ooing and aahing and just this intoxicating new life that's come. But there are unplanned losses, unexpected sicknesses, heavy griefs, valleys of despair and tough disappointments. These are the seasons where our secure attachment to our perfect heavenly father is so crucial. What Chris was picking up, I think, in worship and trying to get us to do is do a visualization of your Father God in heaven who loves you. And what is He looking at you saying? And so often we sort of erase our imagination 
and we want to just go really cognitive about truth. And, and I want to say what Chris was really doing is trying to tell us there's a God who loves you, who rejoices over you with singing. And just like he said to his son Jesus, he wants to say to each and every one, son and daughter, my beloved daughter or my beloved son whom I love. And he wants you and I to hear his voice, to look into his face and to develop and cultivate that relationship that actually rewires neurons and neural pathways that weren't there. Your, your visualization of that can do that. So, um, But basically, creating that secure attachment is so important because it really counts when these God chooses to take these messes in our lives and mysteriously weave them into something beautiful through the work of his Holy Spirit. And I want to read just Ephesians 1 from verse 13 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Don't you love that? Seal of ownership, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing the Holy Spirit is the deposit inside you and me that guarantees we're going to get there. We're going to live this journey and the Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus died so that we can receive a greater gift. He said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send a comforter. And, and he knew that in his death, which was for his disciples traumatic, but he knew in him dying, the Holy Spirit would come and be God with us. Ever present tense, Jesus Christ the, and the Holy Spirit in us. And what am I doing? This is my question. What, what am I doing? What are you doing on a daily basis with the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit? What are we doing with it? This beautiful anointing that we are promised that we have. 1 John 3 speaks about this anointing and it says, remain, remains or remained five times. Like he's trying to tell us the anointing is in you. It's with you. It remains on you. The only way to survive and actually thrive spiritually is to cultivate this ongoing, abiding, deep, relationship with the Holy Spirit. So just quickly, how? How do you do that? How do I do that? So this is, I'm just going to get really practical and tell you how it works for me. So daily, I don't do well if I don't daily sit before the Lord and ask Him to meet with me. Sit with Him, wait on Him, abide, be open to hear His voice. You know that song we sang, um, I see in every sunrise, what, did it, what was the opening? I see his face. Thank you, Marissa. I see his face in every sunrise. And I don't know about you, but I think we've got to be more open to God showing up in, in our everyday world. I think we sometimes just expect the anointing to be something that only happens at church. No, it doesn't. 
It happens every morning where you wake up and you say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with me right now. And you sit before him and you receive from him. You allow him to teach you and renew your strength. For me, this happens best, as I've said, in nature, even just some sunshine on my body. And I just, I just, I just feel the presence of God. Put your feet in the sand. Look at the ocean. Ask him to speak to you. Put worship music on. Whatever helps you connect to the fact that God is with you. Pray with a trusted friend and then trust and have faith that the Holy Spirit is speaking. If he cares for the sparrows and if he feeds the sparrows, how much more doesn't he want to feed you and I? For me personally, I'm going to tell you two testimonies. And basically, often the Holy Spirit and the anointing has come in very simple little words or sentences. And the one was when I was 21, which a lot in the room are, but Chris felt we were called into vocational ministry in, in, into the church, and I really didn't. We were in a prayer meeting, and the, clearly the anointing of the Holy Spirit was there, and there were some prophetic words that were very, very pointed about exactly me resisting going into vocational ministry. And I had such a hard heart. I was in that meeting, cross-armed, just scowling and thinking, these people are hypocrites because they, they're trying to get me to say yes to God, God, you know. But here's what happened. One little moment, and I said, Lord, actually, Holy Spirit, if this is you, you change me. I still can't tell that story without tearing up because that's exactly what happened. In one simple prayer, an honest prayer that just said, Holy Spirit, if it's you, you change me. All the walls came down. I started sobbing. My husband started smiling because he knew. <laughs> he knew, he knew, he knew that the Holy Spirit had come and he had spoken to me. And that changed me and it changed everything, changed the trajectory of our lives. The second one I wanted to share, um, actually there's one more. Do you mind if I quickly share it? Okay, so the, I, I want you to show you, these are things that happened to me, but I want to show you how the anointing also works through people. So when we left South Africa, we had a breakfast with a really prophetic, beautiful couple and as we, we sat down and they arrived, um, this beautiful woman arrived with, and I'm not joking, a bouquet of flowers this big. Roses. Roses. Actually, they were red. <laughs> she arrived with this massive, massive, the biggest bunch of roses I've ever seen. And as she sat down, she looked at me. She said, all I heard was abundant, no, sorry, extravagant provision. All I heard was extravagant provision. And that's exactly what God did in bringing us to America. I have seen over and over and over the extravagant provision. 
So what did that look like for that girl, Izzy? All she heard was extravagant provision. She decided to demonstrate it prophetically and buy this massive bunch of roses. And the impact that it had on me, I mean, that's like 25 years ago, 26 years ago, something like that, is still with me to this day because she chose to listen, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then to do something that impacted my life. Then about 15 years ago, I just want to say that I realized, and how many of you here know that you have a strong internal critic? Okay, good. I see some hands. Most of us do. Those of you that don't, I am very, very delighted for you. But about 15 years ago, I woke up to the fact that I had this very strong internal critic, very harsh, relentless with the whip on my weaknesses. And one day I was beating myself up internally and I felt this very simple, quiet voice inside that said, but I'm not saying that. And it stopped me in my tracks because I've learned to listen to those very small, simple little sentences. And I stopped and I said, what are you saying? Because I knew it was God. And this is all I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. It's okay. So much easier sitting in your room doing this because you don't cry. And then you get up here and you can't do it without crying. But I just felt God say, it's okay, Meryl. It's okay. With such a loving voice. That that simple sentence is the sentence I use on myself to this day, often, over and over. When I feel myself getting intense and I start getting critical with me, I literally will say, it's okay, Meryl, it's okay. And as I say it, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in in that sentence that he spoke over me. How are we welcoming the anointing and the Holy Spirit into our daily lives? How are we hungering for his voice? A simple sentence, it's okay, Meryl, it's okay. The Holy Spirit desires to speak to you and me daily. We have the Holy Spirit in us, a guarantee of our inheritance. He is showing us truth and light, as John tells us. Thanks, love. Okay, so I bet none of you want to be in my shoes right now. What do we do? What do we do with this moment, moment of tenderness? Artie Kendall says that the anointing, which is mentioned three times in the passage we read, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's more complicated. It comes from the Greek word krio, 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 uh, which means to rub on or to smear. And, um, but the idea here, friends, is that you and I live a life beyond our cerebral faculties and our emotions. So often we're held captive by those limitations, really. I looked around the room at some of you this evening and I could see you were struggling to worship. I get that. We all have those moments. But it's because your spirituality has been somehow stuck between here and here. 
But the anointing introduces the transcendent. It brings God into my world. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to reside within me in um, 1741, July the 8th. A man who apparently did not have great eyesight read very boringly a message by candlelight that he struggled to read well. Before he was finished, there were people literally hanging on to the pillars in the building. People hanging on, men, big, strong, tough, blue-collar men, hanging on to the trees, the logs outside. Because something happened that night that was part of what we in our American spiritual history call the, the, the Great Awakening. Now, what, what happened? There wasn't the big kind of charismatic moment. There wasn't big sound equipment. Hillsong wasn't there in skinny jeans. Nothing was there. It was just a man who had bad eyesight, who couldn't read well, with a candle that wasn't particularly helping him, and he read it so boringly, and the presence of God came upon them, and men and women were hugging, were on their knees, crying out to God, holding, because the sinners in the hand of an angry God, when you read it, it's readily available, it's not a profoundly emotional, because it wasn't about the mind or the heart as much. It was something ignited the Holy Spirit, triggered His presence in the hearts and lives of men and women. And that is our invitation here. I know it's different. I know for many of you, and at this stage of your life, when you're wrestling with so many anxieties and doubts and uncertainties, that you think, well, what do I do with all of this stuff? If you give yourself permission... To move beyond your mind. We never throw our minds away. My mentor as a 19, 20-year-old was, I will give you a thinking man's faith. And he did. He challenged me all the time in every way that my theology, my belief system, was intellectually definable. And I'm so grateful to God for that. But he also taught me how to feel the presence of God emotionally. And I grew up in that kind of cowboys don't cry Thing. My father was a tough blue-collar worker. Uh, forgive me for repeating a story, but it'll give you an illustration. When I was 14, he caught me smoking and he hit me. Hit me across the room and he said, if you want to act like a man, I'll treat you like a man. And that was that. He said that day it ended my smoking. It didn't. But if he thinks it is, I'll let him go to his grave happy. <laughs> but you see, there's the mind, there's the emotion, and then there's an invitation to something else where the Spirit of God comes and engages me wonderfully and intimately. Now, let me just, I have to jump around a little bit because of time, so I'm not your friend. Whenever we start engaging in things like this, something that's out of our natural understanding, I always ask two questions. What did Jesus do and what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach? Now, for some of you, this kind of conversation will get you all skittish because you were in a Pentecostal meeting once or a charismatic meeting once that went nuts and crazy and embarrassing and people did weird things and you thought, time out, I will never give myself to that again. But what if, what if we ask ourselves and submit it to these two questions, what did Jesus do and what did Jesus teach? I think those two questions keep us from going flaky. Now, God can do Amazing things. I remember sitting in a meeting one time and was this chartered accountant, very conservative looking man, and he was just telling a story about God's provision. And he literally froze mid sentence. 
Now, he was about as conservative as you could imagine. And he just froze. He didn't move. For what must have been a minute or two, he just froze. Now, it's my meeting. I'm leading this thing. And I'm thinking, do I get up and push him over? Do I ignore him? What, what do I do? And then slowly he kind of came out of that moment's frozenness. And I looked into his eyes. I was sitting close by as I tend to do. And he had the look of a man who was drunk. Now, I had recently come to faith and I had been a student and I know about those things. And it looked like he was completely paralytic. He started swaying like a drunk man would. Then he started walking sideways, and there was a stage with a, with a drop of about, I don't know, a foot and a bit. And I was watching all of this and saying, Lord, what is this? What is, the, what is happening? You see, there are times, dear friends, when God breaks beyond our... our you can stop that. You can. You, you can let your intellect and your emotions get in the way and say, well, I'm, I'm never going to let that happen to me. But what if there is a moment, as Meryl so marvelously described, three transforming moments that shaped her because she allowed God to break in beyond her mind, which says, I'm not going into vocational ministry, and a heart, which... I remember, she actually said to me, now we've just planted the church. And she says, you know what? I'm going to go to the Methodist church down the road. No, we hadn't. We were still, that was, yeah, it's a long story. And um, see, but when God breaks in, he transcends this and this, and he does something exquisite. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me. Same word. He has anointed me to do what? And this is why God does what he does. To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind and the oppressed. He, he wants to bind up the broken hearts. He wants, I remember during that time, seeing little kids, just the presence of God coming on them, five, six, seven-year-olds, just lying on the ground. Dana was there. She was a little, one of the little kids. As the presence of God came upon them, they had no cultural predisposition to it. They weren't imitating anything. The power of God came, and they lay there, and many of them wept. Why? Because their little souls were bruised. Why? Because God wanted to bind up their little broken hearts. Just because they're five, six, and seven does not mean they don't carry a brokenness of soul. So Jesus said of himself, the anointing is on me because these are the things that he does. Acts chapter 10. You got that one, Marissa? Why did he need the anointing? Well, this says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how we went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. The anointing is on me, said Jesus, to do all these things, essentially to break the power of the devil. How many of you, now don't put up your hands, have experienced incredible trauma in life beyond just natural conversation? And don't you think God fits into all of this? His glorious presence with the Holy Spirit and power, doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. That's Jesus. He received the anointing so that he could break the power of the devil. It's not, dear friends, to do crazy things. It's so that he can bring freedom and wholeness and life. And you know what's incredible about this? John 14, it is next for you, Marissa, and I'm almost done. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. 
Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, here it comes, will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Stop for a moment. Remember that great story of exquisite intimacy when Jesus is at the well. He's the, there's a woman at the well. The disciples have gone. It's the middle of the day. Everyone else got water in the cool of the day. And at the middle of the day, there is a woman. Now, again, forgive my imagination. A little bit bedraggled, a little bit old before her time, it would seem. Getting water where no one else goes. Feeling somewhat isolated from the rest of the village. And Jesus sits there. And he asks her for water. Oh, well, that's understandable. He was thirsty. It was a hot Middle Eastern day. But then he starts doing what? Using the word of knowledge. Oh, the man you're with is not your husband. In fact, you've had a number of husbands before that. And the guy you're living with isn't one of them. And that's really, he's saying to her, that's why you're here. Because your village has ostracized your adultery. Now, how did he know that? Because the Spirit of the Lord anointed him to do good and to break the power of the devil. She runs back to town and she says, hey, hey, she's just been ostracized. She runs back into the, the, the sense of rejection and she said, you've got to come with me. I've got to take you to someone who knows everything there is to know about me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why the anointing comes. A friend of mine had a very big decision to make some years ago. And he was driving to a pastor's meeting. And he turned to his wife. He said, they're going to call me out and prophesy over me. There was, I think, 150 pastors in the room. So the Welshman who was leading the meeting gets up and he says, there's a mic here. And two mics put up their hands. And he says, well, I'll tell you which mic it is. You've got two sons. And the eldest's name, or, the, um, or was it the second? And one of them, his name's Warren. And Mike gets up and he walks to the front. Now, how many of you know God has just got his attention by name and by children's names? And I think, I may have now been prophetically generous, his address or something. Now, why does God do that? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, set at liberty those who are captive, to bring freedom to those who are held in bondage, so that we can destroy the works of darkness. Now, uh, take me to 1 Corinthians 12. That's where I'm going to land. No, there's a bigger version of it a little bit later. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. You know, you know where I want to land? And that's why I'm kind of rushing to get here. God wants to use you and me in the same way. That our spiritual radar, that anointing that John writes about three times in that passage, that God has that radar up inside of us so that we are privileged to partner with God, the Holy Spirit. There it is. Now, Paul writes this. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's what it said in Acts 10, didn't it? This is an account of all that Jesus did. The anointing came upon him so that he could do common good and destroy the works of the enemy. To one, there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Those are gifts. 
where God by His Spirit deposited, deposits in us an ability to have wisdom beyond our knowledge or years. The ability to listen to a story and to have insight to that story that has implications down the road. Message of knowledge or a word of knowledge, the old King James says. Like I've just mentioned two stories. Where God tells you something about someone. Why? Because God wants to heal you. God wants to fix your soul. Because God wants to set you free. He's never there to embarrass you. I think if we were to take, I was just reading uh, some statistics similarly the other day. I think if we had to just do a survey here and I had to call things out prophetically. If you're in bondage to this, I wonder how many hands would go up. If you're in bondage to that, I wonder how many hands would go up. But the freedom is that words of knowledge can just pop that open and bring life and bring liberty into those places, dear friends. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits or discerning spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit as he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And I think we should do a whole series on that. But what I want to do and why I wanted us to land here this evening is firstly we're going to come to the table because I really do think God wants to break the anxiety and pain that some of you are living under I don't know why but I felt that so strongly when I was out praying at Back Bay this morning the second thing is that God used some of you in these ways I haven't had time to explain them But God has used you, and God wants to use you again. But you're living under such self-condemnation, Meryl's story, that inner critic. Oh, yeah, you used to do those things. You used to prophesy and see people's lives change. You used to have words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Well, the joy of communion is when we come to the table, God can break the control of those frustrations and limitations or a few that once again you can do those things if time allowed if time you know what I wanted to do I wanted to call a few people up say would you just stand please I'd like two prophecies over them I'd like three words of knowledge over them and two words of wisdom and I think we'd be surprised at what will happen because the Holy Spirit is here His anointing is here. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to set at liberty those. That's why he does those things. Remember the woman who was the issue with blood and and she touched Jesus' garment and all the cultural things were offended. And he he turned and said, who touched me? But he knew because the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him to heal. Anxiety, those of you who have you been used in the gifts, but you just don't use them anymore, and the guilt that comes with that. Or thirdly, the hunger for God. You, you don't know all those things. Those are all like, well, Chris, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's fine. But there's a deep inner 
hunger and longing for God. We were praying. We actually prayed over all of your chairs before you got here tonight. And we were just thinking to ourselves, you know, it's amazing. You could be doing so many other things right now. But the fact is, you had to find a stupid parking. <laughs> Who knows how far you walked. Grab a coffee at Whip or wanted a beer at Gunwale. But you're here because there's a hunger inside of you. God, please tell me you're real. That's what Meryl asked. Please speak into my life right now. That's what Meryl asked. I want to invite you to the table. And whichever of those three are true of you, I want you to take the bread. There's grape juice and wine. You can ask the people who are dispensing it, which is your preference. And then just go and sit for a moment by yourself. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm the anxious. I'm the one who used to. I'm the one who's hungry. And just have a moment with them, and the musos can just come and minister to us.